Well, moms would probably know this more than anyone, but I think we can all agree that our well-laid plans sometimes don't really match up to God's well-timed plan. Here's some examples. The birth of a baby. Okay, so we've got the due date. We've painted her walls. The, the, the smell of baby powder and fresh blankets fill the air and the bright colors of the bedding matching perfectly with the bumpers around her crib. And finally, finally, Amazon delivers the Forest Animals musical crib mobile that attaches right to the head of the crib. And now everything is set. We have the due date and we wait for it. And then the day after the due date, we continue to wait and wait and wait until the birth of our baby daughter. Or here's one of my favorites, summer vacation with the kids. Okay, so the day arrives and we pack the minivan and we pull out our driveway for our 13 and a half hour road trip. After many experiences in the van, and many hours on the road, we finally get the glimpse of the first billboard. Disney World is here. I, I, I mean near. And so the kids scream with delight, and the parents brace themselves for the next 90 minutes of... Yeah, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or perhaps the homecoming for the deployed. Daddy goes away on his military assignment for nine months. Oh, how time takes its time. But eventually, the military tells Daddy he's going home on a particular date. Well, the, the date shifts back and forth a little bit, but nevertheless, it arrives. And now he's on the plane heading home. And the sweet wife and the squirrely-whirly kids await. And then they are told, he's home. Daddy is home. He made it into the States. But they can't quite get into his arms because of a three-week wait of debriefing and testing. Oh, time takes its time. Or maybe one more example of how our well-laid plans sometimes don't quite coalesce with God's well-timed plan. Last Sunday. Last Sunday was a typical Sunday. We all come in here and we're chatting and standing, talking, exchanging pleasantries, enjoying one another. And I was with Brian Welch, and we were standing over here in this corner chatting, and I said, oh gosh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Because my thoughts were, I have a lot of plans, and I want to get outside and take care of these plans, and Brian interrupts and kind of pushes into the definition of the term with me, and he uh, he made mention that the word hope is not like a wish. 
It's Elpis. And I was a little stunned, taken aback, like, what did I just hear? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's some kind of new theological term and movement that's swirling about in current culture or something. Because I, I thought I heard him say Elvis. And it just wasn't making any sense to me. And he says, no, no, it's the Greek word Elpis for hope. It's a sure, steady assurance of things to come. It's not a wishful thought. So we, we kind of both laughed a little bit. And as I left there, I began to think a little bit. I began to think about the well-timed plan of God and how disorienting and destructive it is if we pin our hopes on anything God has not planned and God has not promised. And so that's kind of what we see in the Gospel of Mark. For three weeks, Pastor Garrison has been giving us the prologue of this incredible 16-chapter story or gospel, according to Mark, about Jesus. And we watch the disciples in this storyline, and they just seem to not quite understand the kingdom of God. Is it coming soon? Is it here? Is it now? Can I sit on the right hand and the left hand of you? Or even after the death, Joseph of Arimathea gets the body of Jesus, and, and, Paul, and, and Mark starts talking about his heart that it was longing and hoping for the kingdom of God. They didn't quite understand this well-timed plan of the kingdom of God coming in their midst. And so if you ever pin your hopes on anything God has not promised, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so what I want to do today is pray and preach in such a way that our hearts will well up with hope and trust in God Himself. And we will wait patiently for the second coming of Christ and the totality and consummation of the kingdom of God while at the same time fully participating in the kingdom of God here and now. So please stand with me as we pray and read and listen intently to God's voice. When the Word of God is read, we can actually hear the voice of our Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I do pray that you will open our eyes widely and unstop our ears and soften our hearts that we can actually hear the voice of you. In John 10, we see that true sheep hear the voice and they will follow the Lamb. But the stranger and the thief, they do not even hear His voice. So, O oh, Father, allow us, incline our ear to the Word of the Lord. We pray it in Christ's name. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and following, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he said to James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So today's message, if you can shrink it into one sentence, condense it into one sentence, I would want you to write this down and ponder it to see whether or not it reflects this passage. God initiates His well-timed plan for our sin-torn world. Something unimaginable is happening in our passage. For three weeks, Pastor Garrison has been preaching uh, this prologue coming into verses 14 and 15, which probably, likely, arguably, is a, a key, if not the key passage for the entire book. And it's been building into this this moment of John the Baptist preaching and making way for the coming of the Messiah with His message and His mission. And now today, this is where we're at. God initiates. I want us to think about that initially. That we are not the main players in the Bible. We're not the prominent ones in the Bible. God is the one who acts. God is the one who works. God is the one who initiates everything from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21. It's all of Him, through Him, and for Him. And He is initiating at this point a well-timed plan. And what is it for? A sin torn world and your sin-torn personal world. Now, where do I get that? If you listen carefully, it starts off with, after John was arrested, Jesus came. So let's just take a little moment to think about that. The, The ESV calls it arrested, and it's not a bad translation at all, but there's a little bit of interpretation to it. The the verb is just saying, after John was essentially lifted up and taken away, he was delivered over. Now we know it was prison, and as we move through the gospel, we're going to see him beheaded in prison. It's awful. But I want us to take a step back and see that it's not the Jews, it's not the Romans that are doing these types of things. The big player in this is, John, you have finished your ministry. You are the last Old Testament prophet who has been heralding this prophecy of the coming one. And now, the old is taken away and the new is coming. Take a look at at that verb a little bit with me. 
Um, go into Mark chapter 9, verse 31, if you would, please. One thing I don't like about electronics is 30 years ago when I would say that, I would stop and listen, and you'd just hear the rustling of the pages. And now I just hear click, 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 and then we're there. Anyway, John 9.31, he uses the same verb to connect it with what we just saw in verse 14. Here we see Jesus foretelling the death and resurrection, and he says in verse 31, For he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into, or to be delivered up into the hands of men. That's the verb that we're we're using there. 14.10, 15.1, 15.5, you could write those down and, and look. There's a string of these verbs that are saying the same thing of lifted up and then delivered, taken away. God is the one who's behind this. God is initiating something. And what is it? Well, I'm arguing according to the time is fulfilled of saying He has a well-timed plan. And what we want to do the next 30 minutes or so is take a look at this passage and watch the passage look at the the well-timed plan in different angles, or we'll call them features of the well-timed plan or aspects of the well-timed plan. Three facets, if you will, of the well-timed plan. And after we do the explanation... Then it moves into an exhortation. That's how the the message will end. And it's a one application, but it's kind of a three-part application. So let's begin by just taking a look at what do you mean God initiates a well-timed plan for our sin-torn world? A well-timed plan. So the first thing that we can see in this passage, and we'll just hang out in 14 and 15 for a while, is... That the well-timed plan is called the kingdom of God. Did you see that? Verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into the galley, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The ruling, reigning, regal king has arrived. He is going to bring in justice for His people. He is going to deliver them from oppression. Deliver them from bondage. He's going to break the shackles and bring them into their inheritance of wonder and beauty and plush. Now when does this start in the Bible? Because what I'm seeing here is this well-timed plan is kind of on a timer. And we're going to call it a prophetic timer. That in Genesis, we start hearing the of this prophecy of the kingdom of God is going to arrive. Go way back into Genesis 3.15 if you would, and we'll look at that quickly. Genesis 3.15, you know the storyline fairly well. We see Adam and Eve Choosing to be autonomous, independent, stubborn, self-focused, self-serving. I can do it my own way, thank you. 
And that's the beginning of depravity. Plunging humanity deep into depravity and seeing the curse of God come upon God's creation. And so in 3.15, God is talking about the curse and it shows what He is saying to this serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. And notice 3.15 with me. It says, I will put enmity between you, meaning the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring, think of the serpent's offspring, and her offspring. So sometime in history, the woman's offspring, the seed here, is going to do something to relieve us from this oppression. And he says, he, the seed of the woman, sometime he's going to come, he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. It literally reads, he will crush your head. So think with me about what the, the, the imagery here is. He, the seed of the woman, whoever he is, is going to come and he's going to take his foot onto the head and crush the skull of the wicked one, the enemy of God's people. It will hurt his heel, but he will utterly obliterate the enemy. Thus, the kingdom of God comes. So, when is this? Well, here the ticker, the, the prophetic timer has started. And you can almost hear it when you read the Old Testament. This tick, 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 tick. Moving closer and closer to the seed that's going to crush the skull. Take a look with me at Numbers 24, 17. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth Bible, fourth book of the Bible. And that's 24, 17. 24, 17 of Numbers. And here's an oracle from Balaam. And we read this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, think king here, shall rise out of Israel, and he shall crush the forehead of Moab, who happened to be the enemy of God's people at this time. Did you hear the echo? This is a type. Is this the one who is to come? Not yet. The timer has not gone off yet, but it's coming. It's moving. Most of you know this story. Turn to 1 Samuel 17, and we'll take a look at something else here. 1 Samuel 17, 49. So keep going. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 49, I'll pick it up in 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, think King David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it 
and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Can you hear the echo? It's getting closer, but we're not here. Is the chosen one King David? Is our ruthless enemy this nine foot six giant called Goliath? No, not really. Back then, it looks like it, but it's still pointing forward. It's still moving the reader forward. It's still drumming up hope and yearnings and desires for the one to come and take his foot and crush the skull. You could write down one of my favorite ones, Isaiah 27.1, the dragon slayer. He's coming. Look one more point here at Psalm 74. Psalm 74, 12 through 14. We're looking at this prophetic promise marching through the Old Testament and waiting for the, the arrival. Psalm 74, 12 through 14, and we read, Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. Think Exodus, right? When God came in, and this is the, the big picture of redemption, the big picture when the kingdom of God comes crashing in. It's not here yet, but it's a huge picture of what it looks like. And He's coming in and He's dividing the sea. And then look what it says. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed the head of Leviathan. And on and on it goes. There's numerous texts that show that the skull crusher is coming, but He's not quite here yet. And now we see the well-timed plan of God is called the Kingdom of God. Breaking into the first century, A.D. 33, and awakening people with the news. One of the men that I studied under uh, Brian Vickers uh, states concerning the kingdom. For the Jews living in the first century Israel with hippodromes, yes, I had to look that one up, and arenas scattered throughout the land and in Jerusalem. Roman standards flying in prominent places. This is first century. Roman crosses at times lining the roads. Roman soldiers in the barracks, in the temple precinct, and with Roman governor living secure in his palace in Jerusalem. The coming kingdom meant deliverance. Here we see one aspect of the well-timed plan of God here in our text. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God when the king comes and we want to see him smash the foe and take those held captive by the enemy. All injustices, all unruliness, all insubordination, 
all the poverty, all the things that we see on TV, all the things that you look out your window and even see, all the outside world that's crashing in, burning up, and coming down. Oh, King, put your foot on the enemy and smash his head. That's what's going on in their hearts. And I suspect it goes on in your hearts too. Here's the kingdom of God. The well-timed plan. We'll just call this category justice. But is that the only thing that he's talking about? The well-timed plan. As we read this passage again, notice another aspect of the well-timed plan. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. Hmm. And saying, now he summarizes the Gospel of God. The time is fulfilled. The Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So the second aspect I want you to look at here with respect to this well-timed plan of God is called the Gospel of God. We just looked a little bit about the Kingdom of God. The victor. The champion. Coming in to slay the dragon. But now we see Gospel. Now, I'm not really a TV viewer. I'm not too big on, on television unless uh, sports are on. But there is one TV show that comes on yearly that I just absolutely love. And at some point in this, in this show, my, my eyes inevitably start welling up with tears and sometimes trickles come out at this one moment. The show is called A Charlie Brown Christmas. I absolutely love Charlie Brown Christmas. And so my heart gets warm, and, and uh, I, I put my arm around Charlie. I, I know him, because I know me. And I just, and, and I, I walk through it, but then the stage is set, and Linus with his blanket comes on to the platform and adjusts the microphone and the spotlight hits him and he he reads these words fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people The well-timed plan is the Gospel of God. The Gospel of God is Christ was crucified and was resurrected on your behalf. The Gospel of God means that not so much all the outer world, but now the inner world of your shame and guilt and remorse and rebellion can be lifted up and taken away. Final and full forgiveness is delivered as the obedient one marches directly to the cross and stretches out and absorbs the very payment for your sin, the wrath of God. And He, he absorbed it all and went into the grave on your behalf 
so that you could be washed clean and robed in His righteousness and declared righteous and declared a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and have a happy future knowing that it's invincible. Someday, someday soon, we will all be in paradise, heaven on earth, with no sin, no sickness, no sadness, no Satan, no suicides, nothing except full, forever, never-ending, ever-increasing gladness in the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's actual reality, isn't it? If we call this side over here the kingdom of God justice, perhaps we can put a little label on this one and call it joy. Sheer power. Sheer pleasure. These are the things we want, aren't they? Our outer world made right. Our inner world made well. That's what we want. And this is the well-timed plan of God that is entering into the world. But there's a problem with this. And there's a problem if we don't understand the third aspect of the well-timed plan. And this problem arose for me very clearly um, some years back when I went to play golf. I love playing golf. And Gramps and I out in Seattle are going to go play golf together. And so we went to play golf, but there's only a twosome, and you have to have a foursome, so we found two others, and then we got on uh, tee box number one, and now we can play 18 holes. I can't remember their names. The one that uh, drove the, uh, the golf cart with Gramps, the older ones got to ride, and the younger ones, yes, I was young at one time, and we used to walk the, the golf course. And so I'm going to call him Jack. If you've read any of Marilyn Robinson's novels, you know why I call him Jack. So Jack and I were playing golf together in this foursome. And so we teed off and we did hole one, two, three, four, and so forth. And we were just exchanging pleasantries and so forth, getting to know one another. And it's inevitable. So what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. There's three types of experiences that I have when I say that. Either the face goes, ah, or it goes, ah. Or he goes, huh? His was a huh? He didn't know what really a pastor is, does, and what, you know. And so we kind of explored each other's lives. And now he started to share his heart with me. We're at about hole seven or eight, closing in on nine. And he began to start confessing somewhat to me. And, and the difficulties in his world, he got divorced, he's living alone. And, and just life in general just stinks. But then he started moving more towards his whole, his, his heart. And so he went on to, to um, the, uh, the tee box number 10 and going into the second nine, we went down the fairway after our, our, our uh, drive. And he, he said, what, what is the hope in this world? So I began to share with him the gospel and he started getting very excited about the forgiveness of sins. And I said, I said, what, what is so good about forgiveness, Jack? And it took a couple more holes before he, he started talking some of it. And he said, well, I can go to bed with a 
clean slate. My mind is not like a beehive that is, is accusing me over and over and over again. And, and I can feel happy inside. And I can make a life for me because I'm, I'm finally forgiven. I don't have this dead weight on me. Do you see what he's doing? And I called it on him, and he began to talk a little bit more about it. And the way the, the story ended was about a month later when I was back in Montana and I got a phone call and he just wanted to thank me for the gospel and God was deeply gracious to him and he was born again and he was alive in Christ. It was a great storyline. But at this point, he wasn't quite there yet. And what he was doing was, I want help from God for justice and joy. And if that's what it takes to get forgiveness and whatnot, to get that kind of joy, I'll take it. If we pin our hopes on anything God has not promised, it's going to take us down the slippery slope of temporal justice or temporal joy. And we might even use God as a means to get those two ends. But what He failed to do at that point, I pray that no one in this room fails to. The last aspect of the well-timed plan is the king. The gospel is centered on the king. Look at verse 17 and he says, follow me. Follow me. He's me-centered. All of this is found in Jesus Christ. You can't go to Him for stuff. Whether it's temporal things in this world or temporal things in our lives. Whether it's we want justice now. So God, give me the resources and the tools and anything it takes to bring forth justice here on earth. I'll jump on certain movements to make it happen. Or, likewise, with joy. We can't grab some substance or activities needed to give us some joy, some gladness, some happiness. He has everything, not temporal but eternal, in Christ. Follow me. The Christocentricity of the kingdom is here. Christ is in the center of that plan. And if we don't close with Christ, and just want his goodies, it's called idolatry. And it leads us into horrifying and horrible, disturbing, disorienting, and destructive habits. So that's an attempt to explain what's happening here. God is initiating, and he initiates his well-timed plan for a sin-torn world. So that's the what to the passage. But, but can you just kind of sit back and say like, well, so what? That's application. And that's where we're going now. Notice what Jesus says. Now as we pick up the storyline and move through chapter after chapter after chapter, we're going to see King Jesus do a lot more than say. In the Gospel of Mark, He does more than he says. And he's providing and performing miracles all over the place. 
But here, he, he's captured in what he says. He's saying things like a declaration, a command, and a promise. Notice with me again. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's a declaration. That's a statement. That's a, I know reality and I'm going to tell you reality. And we are to trust His voice. We are to believe His voice. If we are going to be disciples, if we're going to make disciples in our short stay here on earth, we need to listen to the voice of the King. We need to trust His Word. And His Word all over the Bible is declarations. It's like God is the Creator of heavens and earth. Some of us just read that and go, oh, okay. No, no, no. That, that's a declaration. We're to put our inclining ear to it and say, God just told me truth. And we're to trust a declaration. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. A declaration. Christ died. Declaration. Christ was risen from the dead. A statement of fact. We don't deny it. We don't have to scratch our heads in suspicion or speculation. Or it's just a reality. And to be a disciple, we press into it and we listen. Here He gives a declaration. The time is fulfilled. Do you believe that? A.D. 33, all those prophecies billow up into one person. And now the Old Covenant is gone in John. The New Covenant is here. Christ. Believe. It happened. The Kingdom of God. The Gospel of God is here and now. Yes, I know. It's there and then in the Second Coming of Christ. It's here in the inauguration. It's there in the consummation. It's coming. We have to wait patiently for it. But it actually came and is moving through this world. Believe. Trust in the voice of Jesus with declarations. Secondly, he says a command. The all power and authority has been given to King Jesus. He can say what He will. And we snap to attention. We trust His voice. Oh, the voice. John 10.10, you know it. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But oh, the stranger, we don't even hear his voice. Because it sounds like a hissing sound and we're not going to move in that deceptive way. Here he's saying something. And what does he say in the text? Repent and believe in the Gospel. And then he says, follow me. Those aren't suggestions. 
This isn't some counsel, take it under your advisement. He's the King, and He says repent. And for some of you, there's a dark corner in your life behind the closed door closet kind of where you don't ever want to talk about it, but you go back and you enjoy. Today, do you hear His voice? He says, repent. As we moved on, we saw four people listening to the voice of Jesus. And did you see what their reaction was? I think there's a connection here. Leave and cleave. They left something and they turned and trusted and followed someone. That's the rhythm here. That's the rhythm of repent and believe. Repent and believe and follow. I did the math. February 17th, 1984. I was in the Philippines. God crashes into my life at 11 p.m. I'm born again. I, I just start bawling over my awful sins of, this, of my, my life. And I turned, I trusted, and I bawled some more over the, the newness of life and the Gospel. It's just awesome. And I, I repented and I believed. And then over 13,500 days, I've been doing this thing. Repent, believe, repent, believe. It's like tacking with a, with a sailboat going to the destination. That's the voice of Christ calling us out of our insanity and calling us into a sane, joyous look and life in Jesus. Hear His Word today and repent and believe and follow. And now what's going to happen? And some of you don't believe this, so please don't listen to Dan Turner's voice. Hear the voice of Christ through this broken man. He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Mother's Day, ladies. Anthropoi means men and women. It's, it's people, right? Of course. He's saying, follow me, and I'll give you a promise. And these four left everything and followed Him. And they experienced this promise. What's the promise? If we were just over a table, coffee table, and we're talking, and I asked you that question, what would you say? We are to be catchers of people. We're to snag people. We're to win them over. No, it's not our power. No, it's not our persuasive abilities. This is called evangelism. God works through broken people like you and me as we trust a promise and He works through and He snags lost elect. And in this picture here, they're, they're actually out on Galilee and they're fishermen. And it wasn't like this individual pole and, and line and hook and worm and they're sitting there that it was teamwork and they grab this big net of 12 feet or 15 feet and it has weights on the outer end and in the middle is this big rope and they hold onto the rope and they throw this thing out and right when it hits the water it goes and they suck it up and then they just start pulling in whatever's in there is in there we are catchers we are to be catchers of people 
And, and I want to move it further. We are to be gatherers. Jesus said later on, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. And so we catch and gather people who come into the boat, people who come into the local church, born again, repenting of their sins and going into the waters of baptism and becoming members of a Bible-believing, Christ-treasuring, people-loving kind of local church. The one that I'm looking at. And, and, the, and the church fills with these types of people. And it comes from people like you who listen to Christ and believe declarations, commands, and promises. Some of you do not think you're evangelists. Oh, repent and believe. Following Him through your common, ordinary friendship building experiences, who knows? Who knows that He wouldn't seep through those cracks of your brokenness and give forth a glorious reality of the splendor of this well-timed plan called Jesus Christ coming to take away the sin of the world. That starts us off on an amazing trek through 16 chapters. The Gospel of Mark. And I pray, and I hope, and I even challenge each of us to do a one-sitting read of Mark. Chapter 1 through chapter 16. And on the right side, or if you're left-handed, on the left side, have a blank piece of paper and put three columns in there and put three categories. Call it justice, joy, and Jesus. Or call it declarations, commands, and promises. And then just read and start writing those references down. And then you have a single page that you can reflect upon and ask God, oh God, give me grace. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to hear Your Word and be transformed into being a follower of Jesus Christ and helping others become followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, who calls Himself our Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for this moment. We ask that our ears will truly be unstopped. This is supernatural speech and supernatural hearing and supernatural responses and supernatural results. And so, help us to be supernaturalists. Help us to have a heightened expectation that You are here. That You are with us. You speak to us. And we respond to You. We get up and we follow You. Grace us wherever we need in order to continue on in kingdom living. And all of God's people said, Amen.